It's been a month and a day since a massive change took place in Europe. So GDPR, that's the General Data Protection Regulation. It went into effect today in Europe already. Coming into effect on May the 25th, it applies to any company that collects personal data of EU citizens. So it will change for customers instead of fine. For companies of all sizes, this was an end to business as usual. Now every European citizen has the right to control what happens to their data. There's never been a law like this before. And there are potentially big penalties for companies that don't comply. Just how huge? 4% of global annual revenue. For a company with worldwide sales of $100 billion, that could mean penalties of $4 billion in certain circumstances. Almost every company collects data about us, and they're all subject to this law. Until now, we've had very little control over how companies use that information. It got me thinking about what this new law means for us, the consumers. So I decided to find out this new law gives us many powerful new rights, but how useful are those rights? What can I do with them? Hi, I'm Aki Ito. And I'm Nate Langson. And this week on Decrypted, Nate sets out to discover what data companies have on him and how much that data is worth. This new European law, called the General Data Protection Regulation, opens up all kinds of new possibilities for us as consumers to use our data for our own benefit, by protecting ourselves from hackers, making our online lives more convenient, and maybe even making some money. This law could also foster new services to help consumers get the most out of their data. I tried to find out how far away those business opportunities are from becoming reality. Stay with us. Perhaps the most well-publicized part of this law is that any European citizen now has the right to approach any company and ask it to hand over all the data it has on them, and the company has to do this within a month. And Nate, let's quickly recap why you would want to have mountains of your own data like this. Well, there are several reasons. For some people worried about security, we can ask for our data back and then ask the company to delete it. And most companies would have to comply with that. Okay, makes sense. Another reason is convenience. Many companies use our data to customize the ads we see and the promotions we receive from them. And the more data, the better the recommendations. Right. And GDPR allows us to move our data from one firm to another in order to have a better experience with the companies we like or prefer using. Okay. The other big principle in this law is about giving power back to the user. Our data has helped companies like Facebook and Google become enormously profitable. Now, some of the gains might trickle down to ordinary customers. In theory, the law allows us to take our data from one company and give it or sell it to another. In theory. Yeah, I'll get into that a little later. So tell us which companies you reached out to. Well, at the top of my list were the big guys like Apple, Facebook, Google. But of course, this law applies to every company, not just the Silicon Valley giants. Yeah, so I also went to a handful of smaller companies like a local food delivery company here in the UK called Deliveroo and OkCupid, the dating site where I actually met my wife. But my first challenge was to figure out how to submit a request. The thing is, I'm glad you thought this is a good idea because... When I first heard the idea, I thought this is either never going to work or it's going to work and be a massive invasion of my own personal privacy at my own hands. My, <laughs> That's right. And my fault. 
I asked an expert called Julian Saunders for some advice. Julian is the CEO of a company called Port, and he helps businesses make sure they're complying with the new law. We started by going through all the documents I'd need to send off along with these requests. I'm guessing here, because no one's put these, these principles into place yet, but I'm guessing you're going to have to prove your identity. So in a way, I'm going to have to give them personal information in order to get my personal information. That's a little bit of a dilemma, yes, but it's true. It's an opportunity for businesses to learn even more about you yeah, when, they, when they if, ask you for your data. If I'm having to basically identity. say, okay, I want to check that you're trustworthy and you're, you're responsible enough to have my information... So here's a scan of my passport and my driver's license. There's a delicious irony to that 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 I didn't fully appreciate. The law is so new that I wasn't sure what to expect when I started submitting my requests. Big profitable companies like Apple and Facebook have mostly created easy one-click landing pages where you can go and request your data. For smaller companies though, there's no one-click option. So I wrote a bunch of letters and for good measure, I went old school and printed out hard copies in case I needed to use that classic old system, the postal service. My guess is that you're going to be quite shocked at how many businesses aren't fully GDPR compliant. Julian did warn me the new GDPR regulations are so onerous and are such a big departure from the way many businesses are used to operating, there may be lots of companies that are still trying to get to grips with the law, even though it officially took effect over a month ago. The other thing that's going to be really interesting is the extent to which they offer your data back to you. Because strictly speaking, with the the guidelines, they should be giving you, of course, the information that you provided to them but they should then be giving you back all the related information that has been generated around your profile while it's been in their organisation. And the degree of extra data that they provide back is entirely dependent on their desire to be open and transparent with you and to give you everything that they've got, some of what they've got, none of what they've got. And there's really no way to know whether a company has fulfilled this larger requirement that Julian is talking about. So bearing all this in mind, I set out to get my data back. I'm starting with the service that fascinates me the most, the dating site OkCupid. You know, Nate, it's worth noting that you're married. Yeah, I am. And I thought I deleted my account years ago. And OkCupid definitely doesn't need my data anymore. So I was in for a bit of a surprise when I went to submit my data request. And I've just been asked, do I want to restore my account? I've pressed yes. And I'm actually now staring at my old dating account, including all the messages that I sent Uh my profile pictures, my profile itself. I genuinely didn't see this before. That I'm I'm seeing this for the first time. My account isn't even closed. It was just deactivated. You know, you sound a little shocked here. I, I was. I genuinely thought I deleted my account. But what I probably did is just deactivate it, which is an option OkCupid offers customers instead of deleting it. And if if you had deleted it, would OkCupid be obliged to destroy that data? Well, legally, they're obliged only to keep it as long as is necessary. It doesn't have to be immediate. But I did suddenly have a bit of a mild panic. What if somehow my wife got notified or somehow found out that I'd reactivated my dating account? 
Hey, it's me. I put my GDPR letters down and made a quick call to prevent any risk of divorce. I've just been on. They've still got my profile, which I've reactivated, and I just thought, on the off chance that somehow you find out that I've reactivated my profile, I'm not trying to date other people. <laughs> okay, that's fine. No cool. one's really going to have you anyway. So. <laughs> Charming. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Okay, cool. Nate, well. I think I like your wife already. Yeah, well, she's made it pretty clear that this is the last time she's going to let me cruise through dating profiles after she's gone to bed. Uh, but it was a stark reminder that businesses don't always delete the data they have on you just because you don't use their service anymore. That's one of the new powers consumers now have. Many companies have to destroy your data if you ask them to. Yeah, with a few exceptions, such as if a business has what's called a legitimate interest in the data, so a credit scoring company won't have to wipe your data if you ask it, for example. But before I could do anything with my OkCupid data, I had to figure out who to even send my request to. Okay, so I'm staring now at my account page and I'm trying to work out how to find who to send this to. So I've gone into my account settings. Uh, there's a button here that says Privacy. I'm being offered hidden users, blocked users. This turned out to be harder than I expected. There was nowhere obvious on the OkCupid website to submit a GDPR request. Okay, maybe GDPR? Nope. Fine, I'm looking in the footer again. I've got apps, process choices about, careers, blah, 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 blah. submit a success story. I suppose I could do that afterwards, saying that I got married, or maybe the success stories that I found how to actually send this this information. I even tried buying contact info for OkCupid, but that didn't get me anywhere. In the end, all I could do was send OkCupid a help request. So I'm going to put in this request as other help. I'm going to put subject GDPR request. Tell us your problem. Hello. My problem is that I couldn't figure out the fastest way to send you a request for my personal data under... It turned out this contact form was the best way to submit my request, but it's been four weeks and the company only just replied to ask for further proof of identity. You know, I'm kind of surprised how difficult of a time you've had because OkCupid is owned by Match.com, which is a publicly traded company. It's not like they're this tiny under-resourced startup. Yeah, I wish I knew. I mean, some companies just seem to make it difficult to get in touch, either pointing users towards a generic inbox for requests uh, or asking users to, to use a feedback form. It's not the first time I'd seen it. I don't know. That sounds pretty risky if this law has some pretty serious penalties for companies that aren't complying. That's the thing. I have no doubt they are complying. It's just it's expensive for companies, even mid-sized ones like OkCupid or Match, to fully automate a system. There's no formula for how data should be organized internally within a company either. So a lot of companies are still working things out and using more manual measures to make sure that they can at least comply with the law. I reached out to OkCupid to find out why it took so long to reply to my initial GDPR request. But at the time of recording, that email remains unanswered. The next company I approached was Deliveroo. Now I've used this food delivery company a load of times. You order meals through its website or app and they'll have someone bring it to you. It's the biggest competitor to Uber Eats, although here in Europe, Deliveroo is actually a lot bigger than Uber's service. Doors closing. Okay, well I just realized that 
Deliveroo is just around the corner, quite literally, from Bloomberg's office here in, uh, in the financial district of, of London. So, so I just thought if I can give this letter to them in person. As a relatively young but rapidly expanding startup, Deliveroo is a good example of a company that's quickly ended up accumulating vast amounts of data, delivering hundreds of millions of meals to its customers. And so it had to build out its privacy team to ensure it complied with the law. And it's also part of a surging food delivery market with fierce competition across Europe. So all that data it has on you could be of great interest to a competitor or vice versa. Exactly. And I really like Deliveroo. So it's in my hands to make sure it's the right company to have the records of all my embarrassing dining habits. Oh, yeah. Would you like some? I can. Um, and I'll just slap um, Jill. Jill. Oh, OK. We can just make Jill at the room. That Great. I was here to meet Jill Pollock, Deliveroo's data protection officer. I was taken through Deliveroo's headquarters, an open plan workspace complete with a miniature basketball court that was actually being used to screen a soccer game while employees sat working on beanbag chairs. Hey, Hi, Hi, Jill. How's it going? Good to meet you. Hello, nice to meet you. I'm Nate Langson. Hello, can I'm Jill Pollock. Can I give you this? This yes. is a request for all of my data from Deliveroo. Oh yes, let me open it up and have a look. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Actually, you probably don't need to do that now, but at some point in the next few days would be, would be fantastic. Well, I'll take a look now as you're here in person. Okay, thank you. Just checking that it's a valid request. This will be incredibly embarrassing if it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there are very few formalities which are needed for a request. Just wanted to check that it's the same email address that we have on file for you, which allows me to verify that you are truly who you say you are. Um, so yes, we can process this request for you and we'll be in touch soon with your data. For companies that process large amounts of user data, GDPR requires them to appoint a data protection officer to make sure that the public knows exactly who they can go to if they have concerns or questions about their personal information. And that's what Jill does for Deliveroo. But I also asked her whether any customers had tried to give her their data from rival food delivery companies so Deliveroo could personalize their service. We've not had a request like this. It's a very interesting idea. Um, You're referring, of course, here to the right of data portability, which is a new GDPR right. I think there's probably more appetite for customers to do this with companies like social networks or perhaps the music streaming services. I've been wondering whether a lot of people are trying to now move their playlist to Tidal now that the new Beyonce album is on there. (laughs) That's an interesting example. Nate, do you think you'd ever consider doing something like that? Um, well, if by Beyonce you mean Metallica or Flesh God Apocalypse, then maybe. <laughs> Otherwise, no. But there's probably an opportunity here for smaller companies to encourage their customers to hand over their data from a competitor like this. Yeah, if I could get free burgers for a week with Deliveroo by giving the company my burger buying history from Uber Eats, I probably would. And so with another GDPR request filed, I was good to leave Deliveroo's building. Going down. Well, that was very successful. I don't really know what else to do now, except wait, I suppose. Oh, no, I'll get lunch. I should really have got lunch while I was in there. After all that, Jill couldn't just hand me my data, so I'm still waiting for Deliveroo to send it to me. But I did hear back from some of the big tech companies, Apple and Facebook. And within the giant archives they sent me, I found some extremely unexpected items. 
Okay, so so far, Nate, you've managed to submit your request to a bunch of companies, some big, some small. What'd you get back? Well, shortly after I was done with Deliveroo, Facebook sent me an automated alert saying my archive was ready for download. Okay, I am now unzipping my Facebook folder here. Let's have a look. What have we got? Okay, this is uh, this is quite a large number of folders. Twenty six folders here. Um, there are folders here titled ads, calls and messages, comments. This folder gives me eight hundred and eighty subfolders, and by the looks of it, it's organized by um, by friends. So I can see the names of various friends of mine. In fact, I can see numerous ex-girlfriends in here. Let's have a look at this one. I'm asking one of my exes in 2007 whether she has a Flickr profile. I have no idea why I'd be doing that. I haven't seen her in about 20 years. <laughs> Nate, I think your wife might have some thoughts about this. No, 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 it's fine. I actually invited one of my exes to our wedding, so we're all on good terms. Oh, there's a video here. This is, a, this is a video of my younger brother, aged about six, dancing around with balloons stuffed up his shirt and me in a set of pyjamas teasing him about it. That is a golden file to have on record. I love that. That's so cute. You know, it sounds like Facebook made your data available in a pretty readable format, too. Yeah, they did. And actually, that's what I found interesting when going through the request process. You can ask it to give you data either in a machine-readable format, which would make it easier for another company to use it, or in a human-readable format, which makes it easier for you and I to go through. And GDPR doesn't say that you have to give that kind of option, right? No, that's true. And, and many companies are actually also making these tools available to everyone, not just those of us in Europe. So you can go and do this yourself now, Aki, although 10 bucks says I've got the best video of a relative shoving balloons up his shirt with underpants on his head. <laughs> it wasn't long before I had an email from Apple saying my data from them was ready for download. Apple says it lets you download data about the history of your App Store download activity. Apple Music streams, device information, market subscriptions, your email archives, calendars, and even support requests. But I was interested in a category simply titled Other Data. What exactly is Other Data? This lists things like Apple TV. Ah, call history. That's interesting. This is a comma separated values file so so this is like a giant excel spreadsheet filled line after line with raw data yeah and inside the file was information i definitely wasn't expecting now this is interesting this is showing me a list of what looks like all my recent calls at least at the time i requested the data this is showing mobile phone numbers, it's showing whether they were connected outgoing calls, missed calls, connected incoming calls. It's showing me the phone numbers as well of whoever it was I was I was talking to. There's also a line on some of these phone calls that says answered elsewhere, which I assume probably means I answered the phone, but I answered it on my iPad or my Mac or possibly even my Apple Watch since they all connect to my phone. Um, this is a, a data set that I definitely wouldn't want to to get out because it lists phone numbers, it lists the duration in seconds, uh, broken down to two decimal places. Um, 
uh, and things like that. So that's uh, that's a very interesting file to have. This kind of metadata on calls and messages is the kind of detail police officers might request from companies to help them solve a crime. Yeah, exactly. And it, it doesn't contain the content of a call, but by knowing the time it took place, uh, the phone number of the caller, the length of the conversation, even whether the call was answered or missed, it, it all helps build up a picture of an individual's private life. This data is obviously of a very sensitive nature, and it's one of the reasons companies like Apple and Facebook have spent billions of dollars securing their products and cloud services. Well, I've just found another folder. Now, this is buried quite deep in this uh, directory. It's one, two, three, four, five levels deep here, and it's under um, stores activity and then Apple TV and podcast information. And here there are two files that intrigue me. One is called Your Podcasts. This is a fairly standard comma-separated values file that shows the uh, the podcasts that I'd subscribed to within Apple's podcast app, the URL of the RSS feed, the title, um, and a, a column called Last Touched On, which I'm assuming is the last date that I interacted with each of these particular shows. But more interestingly, there's another file next to it called Podcasts Play State. And this is a gigantic file. So, Nate, what's a Play State file? Um, well, it contained about 12,000 entries or more about individual podcast episodes I'd listened to using Apple's app, which is even more amazing considering that I only used that app for a little while, although I do subscribe to a lot of podcasts. Maybe this type of data would be valuable to the developers of another podcast app to help them personalize their services for you too. It is valuable, but the tricky part here is to get it correctly mapped to the episodes we have in our system. This is Johan Bilgren, CTO and co-founder of Acast, which makes podcasting software. And just for honest disclosure, Acast hosts my personal tech podcast here in the UK. So it's difficult to get the mapping correct. Uh, and to actually be able to port your data from one service to the other, you need to get that mapping correct to make it valuable. So it's about, so standardization is, is key. It's not just about giving the data. It has to be in a, in a standard format that, that everybody's using in the same sort of ecosystem. Exactly. The, the format and the, the mapping, uh, I would say, is the biggest challenges. And currently, there, are, there is no standard. Do you think a company would ever pay or, or otherwise incentivize you to let them see the data from uh, one of their competitors? That's a good question. Uh, you know, we see that data is getting more and more valuable and, and you know, people are talking about the new currency is data. Uh, so that might be the possibility in the future. But I th when it comes to podcasting, I, I don't believe it's in the, the near future at all. So even with data being portable from company to company, it's not clear that businesses are willing to pay for it. Not yet, no. I think a big part of the problem is that companies are giving us our data in commonly used formats, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's immediately possible for another company to start doing something useful with it. I thought maybe there's a market for a third-party service that could convert data from one company into a format easily usable by another. So I went back to Julian Saunders, the CEO of Port, to show him some of the data I'd got back from these companies. And I asked him whether this could be a huge business opportunity. I'm absolutely sure it is. 
Uh, and I think uh, there will be a lot of, uh, of data broker type services that will emerge. But of course, the real problem with that is that um, you, at the bottom end of the market, where maybe five pounds a month for your data is, is quite a good value proposition, for those people who are really high value marketing targets, that just isn't interesting to them. I brought an iPad to show Julian some of the data I got back from companies. I took a gamble and let him look through the folder containing all of my Facebook message history. Well, first of all, I'm astounded by the number of files here. This is really incredible. Let's just uh, pick one out. Yeah. Uh, Emma, let's try and see what we've got. Oh, Emma's got photos as well. I didn't see this. Let's check that out. Let's see how good these photos are. I know who she is, so it's unlikely that... Are we safe with this? I don't know. Let's find out. Oh, yes, this is... Oh, yeah, I'll have to explain this off the podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Nate, this sounds pretty risky. Yeah, I mean, it was ultimately less scary than I feared. I suppose what was eye-opening is just how much information there is in these files. And now I have so much of my own data in my own possession, I've got a new problem, making sure I keep it safe. When we take control of this kind of data, we become the data controller, not just... The, the data subject. We then have full responsibility for where that information goes. And it could be used very positively if we share it with the right people. So Nate, you've gone through this whole process for us. I'm wondering, what have you learned? What surprised you? I think what surprised me is just how different the ways that companies are actually approaching this new responsibility they have. You know, you can find a fairly big company that's using a quite manual method for letting consumers request their data. Um, But then you have got the big guys who perhaps unsurprisingly have gone all out and said, we're going to give you this super fancy one-click process to to get everything. I I, I sort of expected there'd be a little more automation. Oh, interesting. Are you excited for this future where consumers have more control over the data? I mean, this has been a pretty controversial regulation. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I'm most interested in is the fact that data now is it's kind of becoming a new currency and it's only going to become more the case. So we're going to see companies, third parties and and middlemen and things actually saying, look, your data is no different to cash. You know, when it's in a bank, uh, you know, you can take it out of a bank and it's no different for a company. Data goes into a company and it should be able to come out and be transferred to another one, too. this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. Have you tried to sell or delete your data yet? We'd love to hear about your experience and you can send us a message at decrypted at bloomberg.net or find me on Twitter. I'm at Nate Langson. And I'm at Aki Ito 7 If you enjoy listening to Decrypted, please recommend us to your friends. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to rate and review our show. This helps us find new listeners. This episode was produced by Pierre Gadkari, Liz Smith, Topher Forges, and Magnus Hendrickson. Francisca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. This is the last episode of our season, and we're now taking a few weeks off to work on new episodes. We'll be back again in the fall. 